where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live audience. Welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Today we're looking at the second part of a two-part episode, Never Love a Goalie. With me is James. Hello. And I'm Barry. So how does this one start, James? This episode aired on the 5th of February, 1987, and it's written by the double act, supreme double act of Levine and Isaacs, directed, of course, by Jimmy B himself, Mr. James Burrows. As always, the ever-present. This is an interesting episode because in the last episode, we didn't see much of the trial that Diane's a jury member of. But in this episode, I found it interesting because it's very much an episode which deals with three different couples. The continued romance of Carla and Eddie, Sam and Diane being a recurring thread throughout a lot of Cheers, and the couple of which Diane is being the jury member of. Who get a, a little appearance later on in the episode and a familiar appearance uh, in some respects, which we'll still talk about later on. But first, the cold open. The cold open is a, a lovely, heartwarming, uh, Woody moment. It is. It is lovely. Woody's such a sweet character, isn't he? I remember when I was younger, there was people I was always in slight awe of because we're all awkward teenagers trying to fit into those social norms and often messing up by trying to be too cool or or what have you. And Woody, although he's painted as quite simple or literal, as you've said, James, in the past, he's actually just lovely and is willing to say the lovely thing. And I was always jealous of the person who at that age had sort of nailed that genuineness to another person. And in this cold open, he is exactly that. He's just lovely, sweet and genuine. Yes. And Sam's in his office listening to messages on his answering machine. And of course, Diane's given a really long-winded one about the trial. Hi, Sam. It's me. I'm on a little break from the trial. We had some of the most fascinating testimony today. Of course, I'm not at liberty to discuss it. Suffice it to say... And the defendant had the unmitigated goal as if... They're calling us back in. I have to go. Love you. Bye. And then Woody leaves a message to Sam. Uh, this is Woody. Sam, uh, I got home tonight and remember Diane called after you left and wanted me to give you a message. I love you. Bye. Uh, Sam, this is Woody again. That message I just left, you understand it was Diane saying I love you, not me. All right. Bye. This is Woody again. Uh, Don't misunderstand me. I really like you a lot. This is Woody again. Uh, I've been thinking it over, Sam. I do love you. Good old Woody. And actually, I got the feeling from that clip that they hadn't told Sam how that would go. He looks like he's genuinely amused and surprised at the end of that clip. So I wonder if they put those messages on and then just told Sam to listen to them. We've got some answering machine messages for you, Ted. Just listen to them. What a lovely open. Yeah. Rest of the episode, not so lovely. You had your (laughs) loveliness. But how does it start? So uh, this one starts with... The discussion of the slump, I believe. We come into the bar talking about, well, our hero, Eddie, has gone to a zero. He is now reviled for having a a long streak of poor goalie performances for the ice hockey team. 
of the Bruins and, uh, yeah, has uh, really flipped around his reputation. What could he have done, Barry? Because, you know, everything he did was the same as it always was. Oh. 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 You know what it was. It's, it's Carla, wasn't it? Poor old Carla. It, it seems, it might be a jinx, as we have explained to us by Fraser. Fraser, come here, listen. Tell these guys, will you, that there's nothing to the idea that Carla might be jinxing Eddie? Well, Sam, technically there is no such thing as a jinx unless someone thinks there is. Now, we know that Eddie's very superstitious. If he believes that Carla's a jinx, I'm afraid it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you said in the last episode, you're not a superstitious man. So I very much agree with Fraser, what he's saying here. Mm-hmm. That uh, jinx in itself may not exist. Much like luck, I believe. Luck is a thing for me that you recognise rather than something that maybe is actually happening. Yes. But Carla still doesn't want to believe in it. She thinks his bad run will come to an end. As you said about luck, perhaps it will. I'm also, and I, I realise that they did this for the purpose of narrative, but surely someone has to lose sometime. Yeah, yeah. particularly in a team game, no matter how good you are, there's a, a number of you that have to maintain that goodness. It can never really go on forever so everyone loses but there's a difference between losing the odd game and losing i think we're seven or nine on the trot Oy, yeah. it's not very good or as eddie would say say merde yeah and i can get away with that on a pg podcast because it's it's in french i can say what i want as long as it's not in english maybe that gives me carte blanche to join you then hey, more french carla is still in some sort of denial about this, but the rest of the bar thinks it would be a good idea to draw straws and tell Carla that uh, perhaps she is the, the cause of this poor fall. Who are they going to send in as a sacrifice then? Well, it's Norm that pulls the short straw, uh, but Norm seems to get out of this little one because Carla comes to the conclusion before he can tell her, and then he dissuades her. No, no, Carla. I mean, talk about social norms. He knows what he's doing. Social norms? Excellent, James. You've got them all. I mean, it's very well played by everyone else in the bar because Carla's starting to think that she's the jinx and then the rest of them, possibly prompted by what Fraser has said, kind of go, well, if she already thinks it, we won't be the bad guys. And Carla comes up with a plan, a, a rather extreme plan to test this theory. What is that, James? Breaking it off with Eddie. Yeah, she decides that she's going to dump him. Like an episode of, is it Lassie, where someone goes, no, I don't want you anymore, <laughs> uh, to make the dog go away. It's either that or the littlest hobo. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, turn around with a tear in the eye. Got to be cruel to be kind in the right measure. Yes, whereas she just outright dumps him. Yeah, get out of here, Eddie. Poor Eddie. But we'll see how this storyline plays out. But meanwhile, let's hop on over to... Diane's. Sorry, we see more of the jury this episode. Yeah, quite an expense has gone on this secondary storyline. New location, a room full of people. Full jury. And I suppose, let's talk about the cast. We'll start with the jury and then we'll go to the actual couple who the jury is judging. William B. Jackson as juror number one. He also appeared in The Love Boat, Hill Street Blues, Dallas Matlock Wings, Seinfeld, LA Heat, Grey's Anatomy and many others. Laura Waterbury as juror number two. She also appeared in Better Off Dead, New Heart, The Facts of Life, Who's the Boss, Mac and Me, Night Court, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Murphy Brown, Mad About You, Seinfeld, and many others. Linda Hoy as juror number three. Also appeared in Three's Company, Dynasty, Aftermath, Trapper John MD, Who's the Boss, Hunter, St. Elsewhere, Elf, Night Court, Quantum Leap, The Wonder Years, and many others. 
it's good that this isn't 12 Angry Men, because otherwise it would just be juror number 1 to 12, which would be boring for your listeners. So, twist, John Fleck as Bailiff. He also appeared in Hunter, Howard the Duck, Max Headroom, Pink Cadillac, Seinfeld, Star Trek The Next Generation, The Naked Gun, Two and a Half, The Smell of Fear, Who's the Boss, LA Law, Babylon 5, Falling Down, NYPD Blue, Mad About You, Murphy Brown, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, Carnival, Star Trek Enterprise, Weeds, True Blood, and many more. Now, I mentioned a lot of Star Trek there, and I think you alluded to this early in the episode with a familiar face. We've got Brent Spiner as Bill Grand, who also appeared in Stardust Memories, Hill Street Blues, Hunter, Night Court, Warehouse 13, Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, but he's best known for playing Data and members of the Sung family in the Star Trek franchise, starting with The Next Generation in 1987. Susan Collins plays his wife, Sherry Grand. She also appeared in Ninja 3, The Domination, L.A. Law, and A Perry Mason Mystery, The Case of the Lethal Lifestyle. Of course, J. Thomas returns as Eddie Lebeck, Mark Arnott as Mark, Steve Gianelli as Steve, and Hugh Maguire is uncredited as Hugh. Excellently read, James. And I would like to go back to one of those names. There is a wonderful nautical-themed name from one of our jurors, Linda Hoy. <laughs> what a great name. Thank you for that entertainment, Linda, if you're listening. And I hope that's not the first time that's been pointed out to you. Actually, no, I, that. I hope that is the first time that's been pointed out to you. I'm sure it's something that's annoyed her. Yeah, so uh, Data's rocking up. Data with his emotion chip in full working order. <laughs> yeah, and I think this was before Next Generation. I think Next Generation aired a few months after this episode, but he was very good. A brief appearance. But there's something a little bit sleazy about the character, which we'll come to later, but gave me a rather uneasy feeling about that particular storyline, the jury storyline as a whole. Well, Diane states that Bill Grant has the same superficial charm that Sam does. Yes. Mm. And even someone in the bar points out that it's quite odd that you'd compare a potential killer to your uh, husband-to-be. So as I say, it's a tale of three romances. Look how they intersect. Like a nice puzzle. Yes. And at least one part of that puzzle hopefully will be solved by the end of this episode. Carla has dumped Eddie and now everyone in the bar is watching his first game after being dumped. With the notion that if he gets back on his winning streak, then it is confirmed that Carla was the jinx. Yes. Mm. And this is where I thought this episode would be... Another sort of very heartfelt but sad ending. The Cheers special. Yes. Um, much along the... Coach in Love. Coach in Love episode, yes. But there's a little surprise here, isn't there? They find a way to trick the Jinx. The old Jinx trick. Mm, which I'm sure Fraser would take some issue with, <laughs> the way they've done it. Because uh, psychologically, if you know the trick that's being played, surely it's not a trick anymore. The interesting thing about Frasier, no longer seems to care about the monkey. Not mentioned once in this episode. No, poor Bombo. We hardly knew you, Bombo. Although he does allude to his newfound raucous sports <laughs> personality. Uh, Kelsey Grammer now, he looks like he could get into quite a few fights. Mm. Oh, he's beefed up a bit, hasn't he? He has. He's become quite the big man. He reminds me of, there's a number of sort of older American stars who will take on villain roles mm. every so often and do it well. I know Kelsey Grammer's done that. Obviously, Sideshow Bob is his comedic villain. But another is Jeff Bridges in Iron Man. He pulls off the... Um, Menace. 
Yeah, quite well in that one as well. What, what villains has Kelsey Grammer played? There is a certain menace to him anyway, because I think he reminds us of the American sh- films tend to have the intelligent character as the villain in a lot of cases, whereas the more physical sports fan that he's becoming is usually the hero type. He certainly is one of the heroes of this piece. Bill Grand is a villain, and maybe fate or luck itself is another one. Carla's, you could say, the anti-hero. It plays out quite nicely in the end. And before it does end, we do get a sort of amicable breakup where the two seem to part ways on good terms, but knowing that they're no good for each other, or rather that Carla is no good for Eddie's career. And I thought that was going to be the end of the episode. Bittersweet. Hmm. Gotta do what you gotta do. So before we come to the very end, there is still the issue of the murder suspect in Diane's trial. There's been a murder, potentially. Or there's been an attempt at murder, which is not quite as catchy. But no, he he rocked up in the kitchen with the chainsaw. Bit suspicious. Yes, but now this couple turn up in the bar. Diane goes to serve them, recognises them. This is after they've been acquitted because the wife states that she still loves her husband despite not loving chainsaws. And the husband is a sleazebag. We get that in a very short space of time. He makes a little pass at Diane. With his wife sitting next to him. Yeah. This is where I felt uncomfortable about this storyline. They'd gone through a jury process. and The entire jury was very keen to let this man off. And it was only Diane who had potentially called it right. But even then, Diane only called it right based on his looks. She thinks he looked a bit shifty. She didn't like the look of him, which is no basis for a court trial. At the end of this episode, this couple begins to argue and it gets heated and she storms out and he follows. Sam gives a line in there, which is very sinister, where Diane's going, well, we'll serve them a drink. Apparently, they still love each other. Can you imagine loving someone and trying to kill them? Sam goes, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the most sinister line is this one, when Sam sees them arguing. They're the brains. You remember? The case on which I was foreman of the jury? Oh, right, right, right. The uh, power saw. Oh, I tell you, it never ceases to amaze me how some people can be so ignorant of what is obvious to the rest of the world. Well, I guess there's something to be said for forgiveness. In fact, in this rather jaded day and age, it's nice to know that Amor Vincit Omnia, love conquers all. And I, for one, shall not stand in its way. You know, Sam, I'm going to pay for this round. Well, you better hurry. It looks like he's about to fire up the old Black and Decker there. Now, what we have is essentially, and it's given a very light-hearted end. They leave the bar and Diane shrugs her shoulders. Oh, well. But what we have is a domestic abuse situation that could potentially escalate to another attempted murder. Because the wife runs away just going, don't talk to me. Don't come close to me. And she probably gets some distance down the street. But I'd imagine Bill Grand is quicker. Yes. Now, James, are we plotting the subsequent murder now? (laughs) No, I'm just saying... That what happens is after he leaves, Diane goes, justice wins again. I'm like, no. You've acquitted a potentially dangerous husband. Yeah. Justice hasn't done anything here, Diane. What you've done is you've angered an already angry husband. Yes. So I, that left me uh, left a, a nasty taste in my mouth, that little segment, because it's a very lighthearted end. And I don't see how they could have done much else without carrying it forward a lot longer. But I'm still thinking. I mean, I, I, I liked the writing. I just thought Diane was being a bit naive. Mm. Oh, well, it's outside the bar now, (laughs) so it's beyond their remit. But nice to see Data in another role. 
And I like the episodes of Next Generation where it's usually in the holodeck where Data tries to be someone else. Usually Sherlock Holmes recently watched the one where he was Friar Tuck because uh, oh. Q came in and just went, too boring about here, Picard and Robin Hood. Ah, yes, Q. That was a uh, good writing trick, wasn't it? Let's pop in a character that can do anything. Put in some whimsical nonsense. Mm. It's deus ex machina, but in, yeah. in reverse, he doesn't solve anything. <laughs> he creates problems. Yes. <laughs> bored, omnipotent being. I'll tell you who are bored beings, but not necessarily omnipotent, are the people in Cheers, particularly Carla, as Eddie's going ahead winning and she's getting bored of this because she's starting to feel downtrodden Barry. She's like, I don't like feeling like a jinx, but she is a jinx. She realises that she has to end it for the good of Eddie's career. And as we said earlier, they part ways. But there's a, it's not post-credits, but it seems to be after the story's finished. There is a little, nice little ending. Uh, James, what happens there? They seem to be back together. That's nice. And as he's going off to a game, they suddenly turn to each other like they're in some kind of Mexican standoff. And she goes, and I never want to see you again. And he goes, yeah, yeah, well, me too. Bye. And he angrily leaves the bar. And some goes, hey, didn't they uh, break up last time? And it's almost the exact same dialogue as the first time we saw them break up. And some goes, yeah, they do this all the time as a little uh, ritual before their game. And as Eddie's leaving, he just goes, see you for wings on Tuesday. Carly goes, yeah, yeah, see you later. So as long as they pretend to be broken up, Eddie's career continues. Yeah. And I was skeptical of this, but because they use the exact same dialogue, if it ever gets to the point where they're actually breaking up, they'll just say something else. Yes. It reminds me of, so I said earlier that their jinx is a psychological jinx. It's it, it's him, but they've created a, a trick to get around this psychological jinx, but they know the trick. So you'd think surely that wouldn't work, but it does work. And that's really nice. It works then. It reminds me of a creature in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that if you close your eyes, it can't see you. <laughs> So it's uh, it's kind of like a game of peekaboo. Yeah, so that they do win. And all's well that ends well, except for perhaps Sherry Grand. Poor old Sherry Grand. We never see her again, do we? Never, never see her again. We never see Bill either. So that's of some solace. Well, he's, he's in prison now. Probably. Obviously. The next jurors uh, did their job properly. Is that the door? <laughs> <laughs> Have we been saved by a bell? Yes. Was that a TV show reference? <laughs> Must be. Let's stop talking about potential murder. Talk about some letters. Questions. Yes. Do you have any uh, questions for me this week, James? I've got three questions today. I'll start with my first of my three. Uh, According to Cliff, how are the four categories of slumps split? Uh, This is also one of my questions. So we have 65% physical, 17% emotional, 15% psychological, and of course the all-important 3%. Dental. Of course, yeah. Eddie is performing well after Carla dumps him for the first time. Who are the Bruins playing in their his comeback game? Uh, it's the Edmonton Oilers. That's right, yes. Not a name that I'm familiar with. The Edmonton Oilers were the real-life Stanley Cup champions for the 86-87 to National Hockey League season. Eddie in the footage is played by Bruins goalie Pat Riggin, number one. There you go. According to Sam, what is waiting for the person who draws the short straw in telling Carla that she's a jinx? 
It's a trip somewhere. Is it Vienna? Is it a trip to Vienna? It's a choir job in Vienna, ah. which I, I think is implying some kind of castration. <laughs> and my final question, which I think you may have answered earlier, where does Eddie offer to take Carla at the very end of the episode when they're pretending to break up? Red Wings. or It is Red Wings. Thursday night at Red Wings. Wings night. Yeah. I do miss Wing Wednesday. Oh, yes. Oh. Back in the days when we could be inside. There's a local pub, local to where Barry and I live, where on Vic Wednesday they have chicken wings at a reduced cost. Wing Wednesday. Lovely. Done. Final question. What does Bill Grand order as a drink? Ah, yes. The eyebrow-raising Bloody Mary. I don't mind a Bloody Mary. It's not my go-to, but I don't mind it. I'm not sure I've ever had a Bloody Mary. Well, that's last call. Not a Bloody Mary. I'll order you a Bloody Mary, Barry. Oh, that's very kind, James. Yeah, and perhaps we'll put the recipe in our newsletter, available on Patreon for our Patreon subscribers. However, how special, of course, wings. Lovely. This is one fiery end to a our two-parter, James. It is. Tell you what, it was quite a tense two-parter. We said it was a puzzle which fit together. I think Carl and Eddie have found a solution. Sam and Diane, they keep plodding along as a couple, as they do. With Sam having affinity with a potential murderer, shared qualities with a potential murderer. And I think the Bill and Sherry storyline, we just... Happily ever after, James. Yes, happily ever after. And let's hope that Carla is happy ever after with her new beau, Eddie. Exactly. Thank you for listening to When Nobody Knows Your Name. This has been a Cheers podcast.